Welcome to AnM Radio, and this week we speak to double bass player Alexander Array Swale, who's speaking to us from Berlin. Guten Tag, Alex. Guten Tag. How's it going? Ah, <laughs> uh, great. Thanks very much. Alex, we're going to uh, talk about your experience in Berlin a bit later, but let's start by talking about Giovanni Bottasini because it's his concerto in B minor that we're including in this podcast. Now, he's such an interesting character, born in Crema in Italy in 1821, of stunning virtuoso by all accounts, but also a very successful career as a composer and conductor. Tell us what you know about Giovanni Bottasini. There's a lot that I've come into contact information-wise here. Obviously, it's a staple of any double bass player's repertoire. And I would say, apart from the things you c anyone can find on Wikipedia about the man, there are some little factoids that seem to be lurking behind the curtains if you go look f looking for them. Obviously, great bass player, wrote a lot of stuff for the instrument. He was an opera nut, conductor, He got a lot of things that were written basically for him to be the first conductor of, whether it be somewhere in Italy or in Egypt. I believe he even traveled to Cuba at some point to conduct works, but I'm not sure how mythologized that has become. Well, I've read that too, yes. One story I have heard about was he was regarded as a very successful bass player, but the reason why he had to go into becoming quite a renowned entertainer and showrunner, if you will, was because he spent a period of his life in a place called Baden-Baden, which is now where the Berlin Phil hosts their Easter festival annually. And actually, he had a bit of a party there, and he lost <laughs> all his money gambling. And how fitting should it be that today, in 2020, and for quite a few years now, there's been a double bass masterclass that happens in Baden-Baden on an annual basis. I'm not sure if it's an honor of the great Bottasini's loss on that fateful party time. Well, perhaps it's an honor and a caution. Perhaps it is. Don't gamble in Baden-Baden. <laughs> From what I hear, it's still going strong. <laughs> Well, yes, and it's a wonderful concerto, the B minor concerto. I'm surprised to learn we really don't know very much about when it was written. In fact, no one can pin a date to it. There's no surviving full orchestral score in Bottasini's hand of all three movements. Uh, I think the first movement survives. Do you find that a bit odd? Yeah, I mean, there have been efforts by various bass players that I've come to know personally that have uncovered more and more after going on little treasure hunts in the back streets of Italy. But from what I can gather, there's just so much chaos that's been caused by a host of bass players who basically took what they did have of the manuscript and, well, put their dirty mitts all over it and cast it aside and thought, well, actually, this is the correct edition because it's the way I see it. And they got that published because they may have been a bass player of note at the time. You can say that actually about almost all of the composers for double bass that didn't really do their due diligence when it came to preserving their manuscripts or disseminating yes. them in a, in a responsible manner. We could wish they'd been more systematic in their paperwork, that's for sure. If only would they you... had Phil Lambert, the librarian. If only, if only. So, Alex, which edition do you use when you play this concerto? 
that's a really difficult question for me to answer because <laughs> I remember having a look at an edition maybe two years ago and then I basically didn't look at it again because for the typical bass player you only need to learn about two or three concerti and it's not like they're the most complicated pieces in the world ever written so you can memorize them and still manage to cross all the t's and dot your i's. So the edition you use is the one that's lodged in your memory now? It is. And <laughs> lodged in your fingers? When you need to play with a pianist usually you're looking for someone that has access to a decent Breitkopf edition or, or something like that that's been become mass-produced today. But I'm sure that's something that has only existed for a relatively short time. Alex, one thing I learned about Bottasini is that he actually preferred to play on a three-stringed bass, and actually I never knew there was such a thing. But I've since learned that there's almost no standard form of the double bass. There are different schools, different styles. What instrument do you play on? Just to touch on what you just mentioned about the three-string bass, I, I, I'm no music historian, but from what I can gather, this three-stringed setup was actually just how it was done across the board for a long time. And basically what happened as time went on and the repertoire grew, not just in the number of musicians required in the orchestra, but also the, the number of notes below the stave that were required for the double basses to play. They just kept adding strings. And so it wasn't really uncommon to see a six string bass or you know three string bass. It just depended what kind of music that part of the county wanted to perform. Sure. and what kind of composers there were. In Berlin, since almost the beginning of the 20th century, the, there's been a very strong tradition of having a lot of these enormous double basses converted into five strings. I mean, basically the five string basses are, is a very modern invention. And this is something that has only existed not much more than a hundred years, I would say. And the C extension that most bass players in the more English-speaking countries around the world that they put on to achieve lower register capabilities, that, that was actually invented in Germany as well. Not in America, as most people think. But the instrument I play on is an enormous instrument. It's regarded by literally every bass player I've ever met as the single largest instrument in the world. I'm not bragging or anything, it's just a fact. This instrument has a string length of 117 centimeters, 117, that's about 46 inches. Compared to most smaller basses, well, let's say normal basses rather, which host a string length of between 104 and 106-ish, that's considered the standard. So this is over 10 centimeters longer. Sure. And obviously the body has been pumped up to support that extra string length. Good grief. Alex, do you know where your instrument was created? I know that it was made at some point during the second half of the 19th century, perhaps as a collaboration between the schools of Mark Neukirchen, which is one of the most famous bass-making schools in Germany at the time. I think, unfortunately, as it is the case with all of these big five-string German basses, there is never a tag inside like the Italians like to do with their pretty instruments and put nice labels and make sure everyone knows who made this. In, in Germany, it wasn't like just made a horse that will not break and it will last. Yes. And it doesn't matter, you know, who made it, it just has to work. <laughs> 
It seems to me as if the whole double bass world is becoming more and more mysterious, Alex. <laughs> Thank you for that. Now, Alex, briefly, I'd like to talk to you about the Carry On Academy, which is where you are at the moment. This was founded by Herbert von Karajan in the 1970s as an adjunct to the Berlin Philharmonic. Could you tell us about the program there? I could only say what it looks like to me today. I know some members of the orchestra who were, I believe, either the first or the second round of Karajan Academists back in the late 70s when it was first established. And they were basically the help. All they were required to do was to play the concerts that the other members either didn't want to play or when they needed to play big repertoire, they needed to fill out the seats. What's a typical week for you at the Karyan Academy? Well, typical week will be Mahler 3 is on the ticket of the Berlin Phil that week, and it'll be with a conductor of note, so you don't want to mess it up. Um, you're probably sitting at the back of the section. Nonetheless, it's Mahler, so he's probably written something for the back of the section to play alone, and that does happen <laughs> a lot bastard and in conjunction with this project you will have a Karayan Academy project simultaneously so that will mean you do your rehearsal with the Berlin Phil you have about five minutes to stuff your face with food and walk yourself and your bass to the neighboring hall the Kammermusiksaal and rehearse for two to three hours with a different conductor different repertoire obviously with the fellow academists and then that will finish and then you have maybe another five minutes to have a quick coffee, go to the toilet, and then you're back in the big hall to continue rehearsals for Mahler. And this will go on for a couple of days. And then you have the concerts. So the schedule is not always like that, but... But it can be. It can be extremely busy. And the last time I remember being that busy is probably Anam, to be honest. <laughs> You've kind of answered my next question, which was, was Anam a good preparation for the Karyan Academy? And for sure, yeah. Not just in terms of like learning how to manage your time, but all the things that come with it, you know, patience, training, and <laughs> there's a lot that Anam gave me, for example, which was to work with extremely high caliber musicians, which meant that when I did go over to Berlin, it was not so intimidating. In some cases, I already knew some of them. And, you know, they're like, oh, hey, Alex, I remember you from Anam. And it's like, oh, hopefully nothing too terrible. That's great to hear. And I believe you're uh, having tuition from uh, Matthew McDonald. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Right. And I also read that the current head of the academy is Peter Regelbauer, who is actually a double bassist. Yeah, and he's actually one of the first members of the Karen Academy. And he once told me an interesting story in an elevator once where the academy had gone on tour to China and we had played the 40th Symphony of Mozart. And in the elevator of the concert, he turned to me and he said, you know what, Alex, that Mozart 40 piece is quite a good piece, isn't it? And I said, yes, of course. I'm only 20-something and I've played it like seven or eight times. He said, oh, well, that was only my second time. <laughs> and oh, I how thought, interesting. What? You know, because back in those days, Mozart was not played by the Berlin Philharmonics. It was just not considered heavy enough. <laughs> um, I mean, what they really should have said is just, it's just too hard. 
I mean, <laughs> um, since then the orchestra has played a lot of Mozart, and I must say that they're very, very good at it. But he, he was lamenting to me that he's only been allowed to work in one orchestra his whole life. <laughs> he's only done two auditions, one for the Karajan Academy and one for the Berlin Phil, and he passed both of them. Alex, I guess if you're stuck in one orchestra, the Berlin Philharmonic, you're not doing too badly, are you? No, no. I'm, I'm... I won't feel too sorry for him. <laughs> Alex, it's fantastic to talk to you, and I very much enjoyed your performance, and we hope to see you back in Australia sometime. Cheers, likewise, and I hope to see you guys too.